it's it's exhausting, but it's really a beautiful process of just cleaning. It's like spring cleaning your brain from 40 years of programming and, and discovering not only who you are, but who you want to be. Welcome to Behind the Binge, the podcast where we bring forth much-needed conversations about binge eating recovery and ditching diet culture. I'm your host, Marissa Kaimilik, a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and binge eating coach. This is our space to dive into practical tips to heal from binge eating, challenge your diet culture beliefs, discuss the nuances of intuitive eating, and empower you to recover. Let's start exploring what's behind the binge. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Behind the Binge podcast. Took a quick break last week, had a lot going on, but now we are diving back into the episodes with a very special guest. This is a past group client of mine, and Anyansi seriously came so far with her relationship with food and her body. And I'm truly always inspired by all of her stories of how far she's come and the way that she gets to live her life with food and body freedom today. So I knew I had to have her on the podcast at some point to inspire all of you listeners who are on your relationship, uh, your, your journey to heal your relationship with food. And truly, if you take anything from this podcast, it's that if Anyansi can do it, you can do it because I heard from her so much when we started working together that, you know, she thought she was the exception, right? That this wouldn't work and that she was doing it wrong somehow, but she continued to take one step at a time and throw herself in to the unknown of, I don't know if this is going to work, but what option do I have? Because what I've been doing up to this point has not served me and has been continuing the binge eating cycle and the, and the body a hate cycle. So I just, ugh, it's so inspiring, but quick content warning before we dive in, there is some brief discussion on sexual abuse. There is some comments made about disordered behaviors. So some, some specifics around dieting, um, and binge eating. And she does mention some, some numbers and some old thoughts about body image that came from herself and from um, others around her. So just a couple warnings there. If you feel like any of those types of topics would not be helpful for you on your journey, feel free to skip this episode. No problem. But otherwise, I hope you are ready to hear the tough and crazy, but inspiring journey that Annie Yancey went through to find food freedom. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm so excited to have this conversation. I'm so excited as well. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. Well, thanks for being open to it. So of course, we know a good bit about each other from working together and continuing to stay in touch. But why don't you briefly tell the listeners a bit about who you are? Um, all right. Uh, so my name is Amayansi Lopez. I'm originally from Guatemala. Um, I lived in my country until my 20s, uh, until I got a job with the United Nations. And then that has taken me a little bit all over the place. Uh, and I've been in New York working with the UN since 2007. Um, I'm a journalist by training. Um, before the UN, I used to be a war correspondent. So yeah, that's 
that's a bit about me. Well, I love it. I love it. And now you're living it up in New York City. And I love yeah. keeping up with all the fun that you're getting into. So when we met, you know, when we we had our first call, it was about, you know, joining my program. And you let me know a bit about what you had been dealing with, with dieting in your life and binge eating. And so let's start there because your journey really has been so inspiring. And I'm always so happy to hear about how far you've come. And I want to reflect about what that journey looked like for you. So when we had that first conversation, what had your relationship with food been like up to that point? Oof, um, I think I, I never in my life had a healthy relationship with food for as long as I can remember since I was a child. Um, I, when, I when we spoke the first meeting, I told you I, I come from, from a family that had a lot of emotional and psychological abuse. I, I suffered sexual assault when I was a child. And I think everything of that unhealthy environment just somehow wrapped itself around food and it became my coping mechanism it became the way I put a layer of fat around myself to protect myself it became the way the only way my mom knew how to comfort me and make things better was to give me whatever I wanted to eat if I if that was a full box of chocolate then go ahead with it because I guess she also didn't have um, coping skills to teach me uh, so so she did the best she could but that led to a lifetime of a very unhealthy relationship with food, a very hard and challenging relationship with myself, a lot of body image issues, a lot of self-confidence in there, a lot of self-hatred in there. Um, so everything came through food, right? And I thought if I could mm -hmm. fix the food, then maybe I could fix everything else, right? And you don't consciously think that, but it feels like the one thing that's under your control. So if you mm -hmm. control that, maybe, right? So it was a lifetime of dieting. My my dad was was really fat phobic and that didn't help because for him, the worst thing that I could be was fat. And he made sure he, I understood that was his point of view. Yeah. So it made it really hard because on one part, you, you want to be thin. And on the other part, you see the person that, that hasn't been as kind as as protective of you as they should telling you that. So part of you wants to rebel. And I'm like, you know what? No, I'm actually going to get fatter if it pisses you off. Sorry, I can't say that on the podcast. Right? You can, can I say curse? whatever okay. you want. <laughs> You're great. So part of me was wanted to rebel and they're like you know screw you right. I, if I want to be fat I'm gonna be fat and the other part wanted to look nice and and feel thin and feel admired and and not feel ashamed of my body and not feel uncomfortable in my body so it, it was a struggle all my life and I've done every diet in the book mm -hmm. since I can remember the no sugar the no carbs the keto the the no fat intermittent fasting everything everything and at some point um at some point i was about three pounds and i spent two years doing doing keto and what that meant in my daily life was all my meals were my breakfast was eggs wine. my lunches and dinners were either canned tuna or a steak or prosciutto 
and that was it not even vegetables no fruit Mm -hmm. no nothing for two years so that in my head also helped debunk well until years after but it helped debunk the myth that I have no self-discipline because often what you think when you're when you're overweight and when you're fat is like oh it's it's me right I'm just not Mm -hmm. strong enough I can't stay away from food I did it for two years that's all I ate and I lost like 130 pounds um and I sustained it for a long time but it was it's no life right because the food obsession was always there and the fight with yourself with I want that but I can't I shouldn't and if I do it it's because I'm weak so I I won't that internal struggle and I used to remember I used to dream about food every day and it's just miserable it's Mm. it's a terrible way to be and after I lost the weight uh, I started binging more like frequently and the way that I would balance things was just not eat for the next couple of days so I would have a day or two of terrible binges like terrible binges and then I just wouldn't eat Mm -hmm. so of course the weight maintained itself and people feed into that because everybody tells you you look so great right and you want to be that person that gets compliments all the time and and gets admired for how they look under discipline I was also exercising like crazy so it just becomes a pattern of, of unhealthiness and of you torturing yourself that it's I mean, I sustained it for so long because I guess I didn't know any better. Yeah. Until well, it just became unbearable. Right. And the way it started from such a young age for you, you you like you said, you never understood that balance of of eating to fuel your body, not just physically, but also mentally and having that comfort. And so food on both ends of the spectrum from binging and controlling your, your food in your body became a false sense of safety and a false sense of control when other parts of your, your life emotionally felt very out of your control. And so it's so interesting because often, you know, what I talk about here on the podcast or on my Instagram is about how restriction feeds into the binge restrict cycle, but honestly, nine times out of 10, it doesn't start from just, oh, simple restriction. It comes from, like you said, some sort of emotional trauma or physical trauma, or it comes from uh, a fat phobia and it being about changing our body and that obsession with health. And so you think simply, okay, stop the restriction, we'll stop the binging. And yes, while that is such a huge key part of, of what helps us stop binging, but we also have to heal that sort of mindset aspect of it and that emotional aspect of it of really starting to treat ourselves with compassion and heal those wounds to remind ourselves like we're safe. We, we have that control that we need, or we can safely let go of control in areas that, you know, we, we can't control because that's definitely the, the fact of life, but really uncovering all of those layers. I think it can be so confusing at the start of how am I going to uncover all these later, all these layers. It's awful. <laughs> and then, but then in hindsight, you look back and you just, it's like an onion. They slowly peel away. And then it's like, wow, there were so many layers to this that I wasn't addressing. I was only addressing the food. Right. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because I, I, I've been doing therapy for a long time and, and I, 
partially started therapy because of the food. Because in the beginning, when I was when I was really overweight, I went to a therapist uh, here in New York because I thought something in my brain, and I didn't remember this, but something in my brain was telling me nobody gets to be this heavy without some underlying psychological reason, right? It can't be. It can't be that I just can't control myself around food. There has to be something. And I remember the therapist made me do a timeline and photos of my life. So I got all the photos that I could from my mother and I, we did the little timeline, right? And then uh, we put all the photos next to each other and he went through them with me and, see, and, and went through the ages. And he's like, you know, perfectly normal looking little girl, perfectly normal look, looking little girl. And then all of a sudden you see it expand, right? And you see me blowing up and getting a, gaining a lot of weight. He's like, what happened here? And that's when the when the sexual abuse happened. It had never clicked in my brain. I I would have never put it together. It seems so obvious when you look at it like, that way. But to me, it was like, oh my God, wow. So yeah, that happened. Mm-hmm. And it's such a shock to realize. It, it, it sounds like it's so obvious, but to me, it completely blew my mind because I always thought it's me right that has to be something wrong with me it's not that something happened to me that created this it, it, I just blame myself um, so yeah that that was really interesting and the value of therapy and I continued therapy but at some point and that's why I reached out to you because at some point I felt that the, that my therapist as wonderful as he is that part he couldn't understand right so I kept telling him about the benches and he's like yeah but that's just your coping mechanism and as as we healed everything internal this is gonna pass I'm like no but this is very specific I feel like like you can't understand the damage that this does to me and why I'm so desperate to to find a way to fix it because I feel like it just takes over everything I, I I can't breathe anymore like this so I need to find a way to to fix this specifically while we deal with all the other stuff but this and someone who understand what this does to a person because he couldn't get it right um and that's why I reached out to you yeah yeah and I always say therapy is such a great supplement to to this binge eating work and to to my programs because there are those other layers that I can't dive into within my scope that that trauma and that really deep history but when it comes to the binge eating there are absolutely action steps to take sort of in the here and now you kind of take the pieces from the past and then use that to heal from now into the future and so I feel like therapy can sometimes really focus on healing that past but then I'm really focused on okay let's take that how can we apply that to implement action steps into our future to really you know stop the binging and then keep the binging from, from ever coming back. And so we talked privately a bit about how, um, sort of healing the binge eating for you has now helped you to better approach what you're working through in therapy. So can you explain a bit about what, what that means? Like where, how did it help navigate all of these other areas of healing in your life? Right. I think the easiest way I can explain it, it's like when when you're when the chains of your necklaces get tangled and knotted. Mm-hmm. And I feel like everything in my life was tangled and knotted around the issue of food. And the moment that you took that piece away, whoop, everything started clicking into place. 
because it's never about the food. It has never been about the food. So the minute that I understood that and I started dealing with the food, then everything else just became so much easier and so much clearer. And it's not like it magically disappeared, but something in your brain clicks and you understand, right? You you catch yourself in, in, in hate talk towards yourself. You catch yourself in, I should diet today again. You catch yourself in, oh my God, I look disgusting. You catch all those things and you realize, oh wait, no, this is not food. This is, this is all the traumatized child in me. This is all the history of abuse. This is, this is so many more things, but it has nothing to do with food. And then when, when those problems, you're able to separate them, then you can tackle one at a time. When it's all a mush and you're binging and feeling shameful, and just focusing on that shame and that guilt, it's just impossible to deal with all the other stuff because everything gets consumed by those episodes of binging and then how you self-flagellate and blame yourself for it. It's, it's impossible when you're in that vicious cycle to, to actually work towards something. Yeah, that guilt and shame can easily spiral and it keeps us from being compassionate and curious about what's going on. It completely clouds our judgment into just sort of that sort of like self-deprecation of just punishing yourself continuously for binging when the binges are a manifestation of something deeper going on that we can sort of not problem solve. Sometimes I hate using that word, like problem solve it, but we are in a way we're, we're dissecting it, um, dissecting it and really starting address to address the areas where we can make some improvements to take care of those areas of our life that aren't being met. You know, it's a need that is not being met. So let's, let's actually talk about how this happened for you. Right. So you, you joined the program and it, like you said, there was a moment that clicked for you, but that click didn't even happen until you finished the program and you continued to put in the practice. And so let's talk about the beginning of that journey for you. What, when you said, all right, we're doing this, we're diving into healing the binge eating. How how did that begin for you? (laughs) It's, I, I can safely say it's the hardest thing I have ever done. And I've been through some stuff in life, right? It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, it was it was really, really bad because when you, I think especially because of my background and when you grow up in an environment where you cannot trust anyone but yourself, right? When you never feel safe, where, where, when you're dealing with trauma and all you have is you, the idea of giving up control and trusting it's almost unfathomable, right? I, I just couldn't wrap my head around what that means. And the all-in phase, the honeymoon phase, when it's like, you know what? That, the, and everybody, when you look at all Instagram accounts and all literature about it, and I read a lot about it, everybody tells you the same thing. The restriction is what's feeding the binging, right? It's the restriction. If the, the, and I was the typical no foods in the house. I had, a, everybody would make jokes in my house because they would open the fridge and all I had was champagne, nail polish and perfumes. There was nothing, no food in my house. 
because I was too afraid of having food in my house, which didn't even stop the binges. Because when I wanted to binge, I would go buy a gallon of ice cream and a whole pizza and I would just eat it and then go again and keep buying overnight all night long and just spend the day and night eating. So not having food in the house wasn't really the issue, right? Mm -hmm. So when you start logically looking at this and seeing what all these people are saying, you kind of think they can't all be wrong, right? They must be onto something. So, okay, let's try. But that process of, of you're going to trust and you're just going to jump and just do it, it's really, really difficult. It's really hard. I, I remember every day, every second of the day thinking, I can't do this. And especially when you start gaining the weight. Mm -hmm. oh, because it triggers everything in you, right? It, right? it makes you doubt the whole process. It makes you think I'm just going to be 100, 300 pounds again. And, and I can't do that. And I work so hard. And now I'm throwing it all away for nothing because this is not going to work for me. This doesn't feel right because it goes against everything you have done all your life. So it's literally changing the cassette in your brain and just rewiring how you react to things. It's really, it's really difficult. Because you're essentially doing the opposite of what the restriction what, what, I mean, you're doing the opposite of restricting and what diet culture right. has continued to feed you. And you're doing the opposite of what that sense of control wants you to do. And so it is terrifying. So, so why did you jump? You know, why did you jump headfirst into the deep end and fully commit? Because although there were a lot of uncertainties for you and questions and doubts, you still, you still were like, I'm in this, you know, I'm doing right. it. Why? Because living like I had been living for all my life just became too painful and too exhausting. And I'm like, you know what? I have nothing to lose. I just don't want to feel like this ever again. I don't. And, and maybe this will work or maybe it will make it worse. And if it makes it worse, fuck it. But I just need something to be different. I can't go on like this. And there's also a personality thing, right? That I'm, I'm naturally the, okay, so if I'm gonna jump, I'm gonna jump head first and God help us, hopefully we won't die, but that it's also a personality thing. But I felt that even when you, when I thought I was going all in, the, your brain, it's amazing what it does to you because you can't even discern what the all in means because I was trying to make decisions about what to eat every every day. And I was like, but is this what I want to eat? Or is this what I'm supposed to eat? Or is this because I'm on the program, I should eat all the bad stuff because that's what's going to make the program better. But do I want it? Do I not want it because I know it's fattening? Do I want, it's just okay. so confusing and so overwhelming and you don't trust yourself and you trust nothing around you. And it's very unsettling. It, it yeah. It's, yeah. it's really hard. Right. And so it, it, it can honestly sometimes be so exhausting because you're like, I'm so tired. I thought we weren't supposed to think about food anymore. And now I feel like I'm thinking about food more because I'm like, what decision yeah. do I make? So there is that, that phase in the honeymoon phase of, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it. So what, when did that start to feel like it, it settled in for you where it wasn't as overwhelming and you were still eating all the foods, but kind of slowly transitioning out of that kind of 
I don't know, like bottomless pit feeling of like, I'm just eating everything that I want whenever I want. And it it tends to be more of those previously off-limit foods. Kind of walk me through that transition and and how long that went on for you. I I think it started at the end of the program. Mm -hmm. And then I just kept going and it's, and I'm not saying it's by any means peachy and easy now, but the, the, the difference is enormous, right? At the end of the program, I felt like there were days where I genuinely wanted a salad and I knew I wanted a salad. And that the first time that that happened was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds ridiculous, but it was such a moment for me because I'm like, okay, wait, maybe maybe this actually works. <laughs> <laughs> and this was at the end of the program the right. first time that that happened and I'm like oh wait wow I I know what I want and what I want is actually not a gallon of ice cream and a whole pizza which I never in my life imagined that would happen if you would give me free reigns to eat whatever I wanted mm-hmm. so that moment for me was was I I think that was the light bulb moment for me and then uh, it started to happen more often and then I started then I started learning that when I wanted something bad air quotes around the bad for everybody listening (laughs) air quotes about air quotes around the bad when I wanted something that traditionally I would qualify as bad I would just sit with it and I most of the times I wouldn't finish it which meant my body was starting to recognize that there is a limit, right? And I had enough, which never had happened to me with any forbidden foods. So those small things, I kept hanging onto them for dear life and just that kept me going, right? Because it was positive reinforcement and it made it, it made me pause and say, okay, so let's wait to see if we have more moments like this, right? If we keep going in this direction, is this gonna happen more often? And it, and it did. Uh, and the more it happened, the more you were like, okay, maybe I can relax a little bit because my body will actually know. But I think the, one of the most difficult parts, it's, it's mm, the judgment of yourself and of the foods. I think that's really, really difficult to navigate, right? Thinking that you're weak, that you're bad, that especially with COVID, that when you go back into reality, people are going to be like, oh my gosh, she got so fat and she really let herself go and she was doing so well, but oh, look at that. Not listening to the voice in your head that tells you that's what people are going to say, because ultimately, maybe some people will think that, right? So what? Mm -hmm. So what? The people that actually think that, probably don't care about you they don't have your best interest in at hand so why would you care about what those people think the people who love you and have your best interest at heart will be kind and loving of you no matter what you look like so it's not about the other people it's about how do you feel about yourself now because that's ultimately the only thing that's gonna matter how do you feel about yourself and if you find a way fine you don't love what you look like right now but at least accept that it's not the terrible thing in the world that you think it is that it's not life ending that there's no tragedy your body does a lot for you and right now it's healing and part of the healing process is gaining weight so okay 
give it that. Oh, that is so beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And honestly, you're right. There, there are going to be people who thinks different things about your journey. And that's such a struggle for a lot of people, even when we start to open up uh, to family or to, to close loved ones about what we're doing. A lot of people think, oh, you're, you're not dieting. You're not trying to lose weight. You're not healthy or you've gained weight. You're not healthy. And you get all of these outsider input, like there's all this outside input, but at the end of the day, you know yourself better than anyone else. So if you're healing and if healing is part of the process of bringing you to living a healthful life where you're not all or nothing on a diet or full off and binging, then that's what you got to trust. Like, you know yourself better than anyone else and finding your own inner voice again, instead of relying on other people's judgments. So what helped you find that inner voice? Because you said, you know, the hardest part was that the judgment or shame around what you're eating or, or your body size. So how did you start to change the way you were speaking to yourself? I think I realized because when you say what's important is, and when I used to think what's important is what you think. And I realized, hmm, well, the problem is that I'm kind of mean to myself and I'm also quite fat phobic, right? And you realize what that means and you catch yourself and I remember watching a concert of something some awards show uh on tv and uh and a singer a very famous singer came up and the first thing that I thought when I saw him is like oh my god he got so fat I thought that and I caught myself in that moment and I'm like what is wrong with you <laughs> and then you start you start you start you start deconstructing what years of living conditioning and in, in the diet culture does to you. I'm like, I'm I'm not that kind of who am I? And it was such a such a moral crisis for me that moment. And it just taught me, okay, you have to watch yourself, right? Watch yourself. What what you watch what you think, watch what comes to mind watch what you say to yourself follow all these accounts of body positive body acceptance healthy at all size accounts just inundate yourself with that right because all you've been feeding your brain and all society has been feeding, feeding your brain for 40 years is the opposite it's thin it's the best thing you can be it doesn't even matter if you're healthy as long as you look thin because when and then you you start seeing all the lies because I would tell myself no it's about health it's not about health I'm in perfect health it has nothing to do with health I have skinny friends who have high cholesterol high blood pressure it's not about health and when people tell you that it's not about health because nobody has seen your medical records so you're assuming there's a health issue here there's no health issue my my blood work is perfect everything in my body is perfect so it's not about health so you start getting really curious about, okay, so I'm having this thought, where is this coming from? And you dig and you dig and you dig and it's like, oh, no, it, it's just diet culture. Right. <laughs> it's just 40 years of diet culture yeah. and, and that, that phobia that has been put into your brain. Yeah, exactly. Put into your brain, but yes. it's not, it's not your own no. thoughts. And so really dissecting that. And I mean, the ability for you to be able to do that and really chip away at that and dig into that is honestly amazing. And, and I hope you give yourself all that credit because it is so 
hard to it's really so hard. separate. Wait, this actually isn't my thought. This was given to me where, when, why, and then, you know, what actually is my thought? What do I actually think? Because you're kind of working on these automatic thoughts that have been created that aren't your own. And they're creating a life of yours that don't, that doesn't align with your values. And so really- and that part, that sentence to me made such a difference. The first time I heard you say that, does it align with your values? Because that's the first thing that hit me in the head when I, when I thought, oh my God, he got so fat. I've, I've seen him on TV. I'm like, that does not align with my values. That's not me. That's not who I am. That's just something that was put in my brain. That, and then you start questioning everything that you think because you don't know what's yours. And finding out what's yours, it's, it's exhausting, but it's really a beautiful process of just cleaning. It's like spring cleaning your brain from 40 years of programming and, and discovering not only who you are, but who you want to be right? What kind of human do I want to be? Is this the one that looks in the mirror and tells yourself, oh my God, you look disgusting. Is that the person you really want to be? Is that useful to yourself, to your friends, to the world? Is that really the kind of energy you want to carry around in the universe? No, right? So then change it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that change, although it's hard and it's a lot of really questioning your yourself and uncovering a lot of false narratives that have created this these these behaviors in your life and the way that things have played out it is exhausting and confusing and really emotional I mean there is like a grief of letting go yeah. of your old self but then at the end of it, it's worth it because you have so much more beauty around you that is aligned with your values. And that really right. does fill your purpose. But finding that is what's hard, but understanding that it's worth it is, you know, probably what got you through the darkest days, which I do want to talk about. Cause when I said, what was it like for you? You were like, it was the hardest thing the I've hardest ever gone through, which is honestly a scary statement, right? If, if you heard that at the beginning, this is going to be the hardest thing you will ever go through and yeah. it's going to be painful. You know, a lot of times that might put a wall up of, Ooh, I don't want to do that. But what really helped you move forward on those dark days where you, you were like, what am I even, what am I even working towards? Like, what is this going to work? Cause, and I still remember our first meeting, you said, what if this doesn't work for me? What if I'm the exception? So I'm sure that stayed in your mind for a while when you- The whole time, the whole working. time. Right, right. So what propelled you forward in those moments? <sighs> so when I say this was the hardest thing I've ever done, I mean, like I would go out for lunch with, with, a friend who, who knows everything. Very few people in my life know this journey because there's so much shame and so much stigma associated with that. But I would go out uh, with lunch with, with one of the friends who knows. And I mean, crying in public in a restaurant, like sobbing, like I don't know how to do this. And I feel like I'm falling apart and I don't, I, and I don't know, and I'm not going to be able to do this. And it's, sobbing in public and I'm like who am I because <laughs> I'm usually a, a, what I would consider a, a very strong person right and I think oof, I think every step of the way I just kept thinking everything in my life has led me to this moment right if I look back at 
all that I have been through in my life, I feel like this just came at the right moment, at the moment when I was ready, at the moment where COVID, thank goodness, gave me the space to do this because I'm also very type A and very, and very active. So in my regular life, pre-COVID, I think I just was very good at distracting myself from the issues, right? And looking too deep or too carefully and I just kept busy and kept and kept myself entertained and doing things that made me happy so that I don't have to go to the dark place because that's not a place we want to go but then COVID hit and then it's all the dark place because you're sitting yourself on lockdown with nothing to do nobody to talk to it's you and your dog and the long walks in the city and there's something about that that just it's impossible not to look inwards and then things start unraveling. So COVID for me in that way was a bit of a blessing to give, to give me the space to do that and to give me the space to do that without judgment. Because when the clothes start not fitting, if I had had to go through that and walk into the office and feeling like it's the red carpet that everybody's judging me in, I, I don't know if, if I don't know if I would have been able to do this, right? But the fact that I was protected by working from home, that I don't feel like I have the eyes of the world, even if they are not looking at you, but you feel like the world is looking at you, right? So having that safe space, I think it helped a lot. I think therapy helped a lot because I was doing that hand in hand. So, so the two were, and at some point it felt, I was telling my girlfriends, that a lot of, of things from my childhood kept, kept popping in my therapy sessions at the same time I was doing this program. And my friends were like, dude, that's too much. I mean, how much can you take? Either do the food or do the other thing, but how? how? And I'm like, but I can't separate them. Because they're they not don't, separate, you know? Because they're not separate. Yeah. So we're in the phase where we're just, we're just digging out of the dirt. So let it, let it come out because I, I can't imagine going back to before. And I think that's the short answer for you. What kept me going? The fact that I couldn't imagine living like that anymore. I, I, I couldn't. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you had a pretty good support system too. And, and some yeah. wonderful friends that let you let it out at, at lunch outside and, and just really sit in that suck for you and hold that, right. suck, which is such just, I mean, it's a huge part of healing is yeah. letting it go, you know, instead of bottling it all up and being strong and in control and calculated and manipulative with everything that you're doing mm -hmm. in your life to get that false sense of safety. Sometimes it's just let the wall down, let it out, feel that frustration because it is frustrating. Yeah. And that's, that's healing. You know, I, I talked about that on my story the other day, if we bottle it up, we're not really giving us that space to grieve um, right. all of this that we're letting go of. And so I know we're bouncing around a little bit, but one thing I, cause your story is just so, I know it's going to inspire so many. So I want to make sure we touch on the, the important parts of your recovery, kind of like the last thing and, and something you messaged me about was how your perception and the way that you viewed your body changed, you know, mm. body image we've talked about as you were gaining the weight, there were all those fears and really unpacking the fat phobia and our, and the diet culture society that's been ingrained in our, yeah. in our thoughts, but how 
you you went from what sounded like body hate to last time you messaged me, you were like, I actually feel beautiful. And I, right. I look at myself and I, I see I'm beautiful. I mean, that's such a jump, but there's a messy middle in there. So how, how did that, um, how did that relationship with your body and right. so drastic? Right. I think it also came, started happening at the end of a program because I feel the first three months, every time I looked at me, I was like, oh, but it was such deep hatred. It's, it's almost hard to imagine how you can hate yourself to that level, right? To me, now that I look at it, I'm like, oh my God, that's so, that's so sad. It makes me feel so sad for, for myself, for having been in that place. And for anyone who just looks in the mirror and that's what comes, right? Is oh, you're disgusting. Oof, it's, it's a lot to say to yourself and to say it every day, every time you catch a reflection and it's almost like you're looking for chances to be mean to yourself, right? Because you're looking at any reflection to make that point, you're disgusting. And it's, it's, it's terrible. And I think part of it was the, okay, align with your values. You don't talk to anyone like that. So stop talking to yourself like that, right? What you're seeing in the mirror is not a supermodel. That's fine. But that's no reason to be a bully. And it's that, right? You're being a bully. And the other thing that helped is that my therapist was saying, okay, but you, because I was explaining this to him, that every time I found a reflection on the mirror, my reaction then was that, my God, you're disgusting. And he, told me okay you know but who's saying that to you because I get the feeling that it's not you who's saying that to you maybe your dad is saying that to you <sighs> yeah and that session was of course a sobbing session right because I never realized that and the moment that I realized that it changed everything because every time I did it I'm like oh that's my dad okay okay so we forgive him for saying that but we're not gonna repeat that message right and I think because this process it's not that it allowed me to or gave me the option to break down walls it just kind of knocks the walls around you and destroys them and leaves you in such a vulnerable place where you cannot hide anymore and you can't pretend that you're okay. So you just have to deal with it, right? So the sobbing in public would have never happened before, but because it just tears down every protective layer you have around you, because it's so hard, it's impossible to keep them up. It forces you to be vulnerable and to just let yourself be sad and, and scared and, and angry and just let yourself feel it and cry it out every single day if you if you have to and eventually just start building up again and you start making it a silly and I say silly because that's the first thing I thought when I did it but look at yourself in the mirror and I don't care if you believe it or not but tell yourself that you look beautiful list the things that you're that you're grateful for that your body does for you right I love taking long walks and I have the legs that let me do that right and I love taking pictures and I have the eyes that let me capture that so 
if you don't love what you see in the mirror because of the shape and of the size, fine. But then make conscious effort of listing the things that you do like and that you are grateful for. And, and then just start building on those little by little. And it's amazing how your brain, it's a muscle, right? So then your brain automatically starts doing that as the default instead of the ugh, you're disgusting. It, it switches into that. And, and still I have some days where I look in the mirror and I'm like, eh, and I'm like, ah, no, no, no. But now I catch myself. And I think that's the difference, right? Don't let that shit, no, that's not acceptable. So you catch yourself, you stop it. And you replace with that, no, no, no. You are wonderful. You are beautiful. You are going to go for a long walk and you're going to do the wonderful things that your body allows you to do. And you're going to appreciate that. And that's what you're going to focus on because that's the kind of person you are. And <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. that, right? Yeah. It's repetition and convincing yourself of what you think is unconvincible at the beginning. And then you start believing repetition. it. Repetition, such an important Like part. mad. Yeah, because it's not just, oh, this doesn't align with my values. Click, never going to think about it again. It's going to keep coming up and it's continuing to catch it and say that's not me that's not how I want to think about things anymore and kind of a point you made is you were it's almost like you're looking for the bad right what we focus on is what we see more of so for focusing on the negative that we hate about our body we're just going to see more hate but instead you're like well what do I like or love or feel okay about? And that's just, whether that's an ability or a mindset or hair, you know, anything, it's like, okay, well, that is what I like. So then we just start to shift to a more positive perspective. And like you said, that builds and strengthens. And the universe helps, the universe helps you, I swear. Because in this time, since I started seeing people again, because New York started opening up, I swear to you, I have never received more compliments in my life than this past time at uh, the first times that it started happening I'm like okay they're, they're bullshitting me right they're just they just realize I'm, I'm heavier and they're being kind but it cannot possibly be that every person that you see does that right or a random person in the streets of New York is like oh my god I love your hair you're beautiful and you're like and you you learn to start accepting that as the reality right maybe I'm not thin but I can be beautiful too and thin is not necessarily the standard of beauty. You don't have to be thin to have all of that. The confidence, the, the glow, the energy that you don't need that. So yeah, I think the universe tries to help you when you help yourself a little bit. Oh my God, that's so inspiring. I'm going to like write that down on an Instagram post. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> needs to hear that, you know? And, and the fact that, you were, you probably could have been told that six months ago and would have never believed it. And now you're living it is honestly just so beautiful. And every time you message me something that you were able to experience just with full freedom, yeah. it, I mean, I just want to cry because I'm just so happy you get to live that life aligned with really what, what brings you purpose and, and fills you up with joy and, and experience all of those things and share your beauty with the world and the people around you. So- and it starts, right? Does it make you happy? Because I look at pictures because one does that a lot when one is going through this program just <laughs> to torture yourself and look at thin pictures of yourself, which is a really, really not a smart thing to do. But I find that I used to do it a lot when you're mourning your, your, yeah. your lost body. 
but the more I did that, actually, it turned out helping me because the more I did that, I realized I remembered the moments that I took all those pictures, right? And even at my thinnest, and I, at some point, I was very thin, even at my thinnest, at that moment, I wasn't happy. I didn't think it was enough. I remembered the day I wore X that dress and I thought, oh my God, my stomach, oh my God. Mm. I remember that at my thinnest today. I, I would. If anybody would tell me, I of course, you would think I would kill to be in that body that I had at that moment that I didn't appreciate at that moment. Because yeah. it's never enough because you're training yourself to focus on every flaw. And I don't know any of my girlfriends or any woman in my life that doesn't, by default, do that. The no, I'm not thin enough. The no, I could I could change this, or I should change that, or I don't like my nose, or I don't like my stomach, or I don't. It's always the focus of the one or two or however many things you don't like, but that's where all our focus goes. Instead of going, yeah, but I have great hair and beautiful eyes, and also I'm happy, so that's all that should matter. You start a revolution in that in your friend group of everyone recognizing that it's not about the thinness it's not about you know that that image it's about that connection and right. the, the gifts that you get to share with the world which is never our body right our body's the least never our body about us that's not why yeah. you're with your friends and so oh that I mean that's so inspiring so you started with me in I think October now October. it's end of May early June what does your relationship with food look like now I mean <laughs> it's a loving relationship because I start I stopped using food as one a coping mechanism or as a way to punish myself which were the binges right that's actually not a pleasant experience it's you punishing yourself with food and hurting yourself it's like cutting but with right. food so now I just I just enjoy food right and I will eat what I want whenever I want and I remove judgment from it and I'm like is this what I'm craving yes that's what I'm craving is it delicious yes it is delicious and if someone around what's really still kind of complicated and I think that's always going to be a little bit of a part of that is because every woman is obsessed with food and with being thin that makes it hard, right? Because when you're in a, in a group and everyone is like, oh, no, I shouldn't have the carbs. I know I should just have the vegetables. There's part of your brain that wants to go back to that. And I was like, oh my God, they're right. I shouldn't. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're not doing that again. <laughs> no, we know where this leads to. So no, you're having whatever the hell you want to have. And if you genuinely want the pasta, that's what you're going to eat and you're going to love it. And you don't have to go to the gym three hours afterwards to burn anything off. You're just going to live your life. And, and to me, the trick to, to test if that's authentic, I kept, I kept imagining, right? If I lived in a deserted island with just my best friends and the people that I trust and love, would I give a shit about what I'm eating or how I look? I wouldn't. I would not. It's society, right? Just you feel like you have to look a certain part to belong and be accepted and loved in this world because they created the rules and the rules are you have to look this way. I'm like, no, just 
no, you have a right and you have the power to refuse that, right? And say, okay, that might be the rules of the game they're playing, but I don't have to play by those rules. I, it's my game and I play it however the hell I want to. Oh my God. I love thinking about it that way. You know, if you were just with the people that you love the most in this world, would you give a shit? And it's like, you wouldn't know you would eat in ways that you enjoy and that make you feel good. Yeah. And it wouldn't be about that. And, you know, and there wouldn't be that pressure. So I, I love shifting it to that. And that's how you sort of test. Why am I making this yes. decision? I, I love that. So Oh, I mean, this was so inspiring. Honestly, I'm, I'm so excited for people to get to listen to this because hearing it from someone who went through it, I mean, I went through it, but I went through it six years ago, but you went through it right. so recently and really, you know, firsthand went through that my program, but went through the, the struggle of it and the thick of it and the grief of it and the confusion of it, you know, those uncertainties. And now here you are on the other side, living your life and COVID's opening up the world again, like, and you're able to just go right. into it with a toll. You're, you, the way you went into quarantine, you're coming out a completely different person. And it's just so not in the way that people think, right? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, honestly, not in the way that diet culture is kind of putting yes. a, a focus on right now it, it I mean it it frustrates the hell out of me when I see you know oh don't let yourself come out of COVID quarantine blah I'm like get blah, rid of the like, COVID-19 <laughs> right yep. but the transformation that you've had not everyone is going to be able to see but you see it and that's right you know giving yourself that that credit and celebrating that because there's so much more life to live once you can open up that side. That side and I think for people that are struggling with that, I think one thing that made a huge difference for me is surround yourself with accounts, with people, with, with sources of information that feed into the positive, right? Because a lot of people follow the, the Fitzbo and the, and they say it's for inspiration, uh, <laughs> aspiring to look better no it's just making you criticize every single little thing about your body so when you surround yourself with messages that are okay you you love yourself you you are going to be grateful for the body you have you're going to live your life by different rules now because you have a choice and you are choosing not to play by those rules the more you hear it from yourself from saturate yourself with those because it's repetition and if you hear it from you and from everything you're looking at you start seeing the world in a different way and it's just a much kinder loving way of seeing yourself and everybody else yeah oh that's really great advice for anyone listening because it's true. I mean, we can't avoid completely diet culture in the media, social media, and I mean, out and about with our friends and loved ones, but it's building up that support behind you, whether through social media mm -hmm. accounts or other people going through the journey with you that holds mm -hmm. you up and continues to remind you that you can trust yourself and this is right for you. Um, but like you said, that takes time and repetition and continuing to see that around you in other ways. So diversifying your social media is such a good way of doing. And that. also don't, don't, don't get lazy because I notice still on the days that I don't do like the cost of repetition that I don't start my day by looking in the mirror and repeating how wonderful I am in so many ways, the days where I think like, no, I'm good. I don't need that today. That day is always a hard day, right? Mm -hmm. 
that day is always the day where I'm like, should I go on a diet? I'm like, what the hell? No, but it's just setting yourself up for success, right? Don't, don't, don't get lazy. Don't stop telling yourself because the negative self-talk never stops, right? When you do that, you, it's 24 seven that you are sending messages of hate to yourself. So in the same level of repetition and intensity, the positive has to be there. Because if not, it just, it, it's really easy to one little hole is all it needs to go back in there, right? right. So yeah, don't let any holes, don't, don't allow any holes to let that back into your life. Yeah, because if that negative had been sitting there for decades, mm. a few months of a positive, I mean, not even a mm. year for you of working on this new, this new um, kind of headspace with food in your body, it yeah. is going to be that constant repetition. But what's great is that it gets easier and it's not yes. as challenging because you're not always fighting that voice. It's just an easy realignment when we start to, like you said, get lazy and, and not put so much um, focus or emphasis on the helpful yeah. behaviors and thought processes that support our best self, but it's just, oh, realign myself. You know, I, I see myself starting to kind of slip back into diet culture or these negative false mindsets. And it's just a realignment. Whereas at the beginning, it's definitely more of that battle back and forth between what's the truth, yeah. what's the real voice in my head here. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But it's that, it's questioning yourself all the time. Because even for instance, I, uh, actresses that that you love right and and I love rebel and she's lost a lot of weight and mm -hmm. even things like that are so triggering and then you're like oh my god and it's a second but if you are already in the practice of trying to catch all these things you catch it and then you realize oh this is making me uncomfortable why is it making me uncomfortable it's making me feel insecure because why and when you start thinking it's like okay no no it's just the same thing that was damaging me before and we're not gonna let that happen anymore right right because you trust yourself now and so when you right. say that's not right for me you believe it right right exactly. and I think that's sort of the key at the end of it is trusting that like I said we don't we know ourselves better than anyone and if Rebel Wilson or anybody in the media is doing a diet our friends our family it's like okay that might be for them it's not for right. me and I know that and I'm standing by that and allowing yourself to continue to do what you know is right for you and has been and helping you. And also for little girls, I have goddaughters. I have a lot of, of friends with kids and I don't want these kids to have to grow up with this and have mm -hmm. to deal with a life. And now the pressure on little girls is so much. When when I was younger, I that it didn't matter what I looked like, but now it's all all the focus is there and it's all they're exposed and I and I kind of feel it's also a responsibility to make to make that shift in into the world for them it's just no way to live yeah yeah exactly and getting to show that th that age group where a lot of this started for us that it doesn't it was seven for me way. right right and so now any seven-year-old you know it's about I immediately mm -hmm. oh my god it's because I thought if anyone could have protected me at that point it would have saved me a lifetime of very painful things right so what would you kind of, what would you say to your seven-year-old self when this kind of started oh my baby <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
that in the end you're gonna be okay and you're safe and maybe right now you are not being protected and loved as you should but you will come to a point where you will find a way to give yourself that oh beautiful and now you get to give your inner child that. that right yeah, yeah. Oh, right I love it Oh my gosh, Annie Ansi, thank you so much for thank sharing you. your story. Oh, I can't believe us. I managed to do this without crying. <laughs> that oh, last yeah. one, I thought I might get you. But... Uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh, came, came pretty close. Oh, well, I'm, I'm so appreciative of you. And I'm just so happy that you're happy and living a life of food freedom. Oh and God, yeah. Oh my God. Finally. Gosh like it's been a long road man yeah but you did it and giving yourself you know that credit I think is so helpful to remind yourself that you can do hard things and get out on the other side and it's better than ever so uh, just continue to be inspiring and uplifting and I'm going to continue sharing your story with everyone because everyone needs to hear it especially everyone who tells me what if I'm the exception because I'm sitting here you told me that so many times And, and I thought it until the very end, right. I thought it. And you're not, you're not the exception here. You are. And, and, wow. you did it. and yeah, I just uh, love you. And I'm, I love you too. It, I'm just so happy we were able to connect and I, yeah, we will, we'll continue to stay in touch. <laughs> yes. And I hope this is helpful. I, I was just thinking because it's a very hard thing to go public with because there's so much shame right and nobody in my life knows this except my very close group and I'm like you know what no you have to you have to walk the walk and you have to talk the talk and if we want to remove stigma around these things we have to talk about them and and make it okay to just be vulnerable and share really difficult stories with people because maybe it can help someone and then it's worth it right yeah. And what I realized from opening up myself, even before I started my practice and everything is that you're truly never alone. You know, the first time I posted on my, my personal Facebook page, like six years ago when I was recovering and I posted something for like eating disorder awareness week, I got so many messages of people telling me they were struggling with the right. same thing and they were inspired by right. me. And I had no idea you feel right. so alone and then you open yeah. up and you realize, oh my God, like I'm not alone. And then you get to sort of spearhead that movement for the people closest to you that you don't. But then you also get fed with that energy of no, 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 we can do this, man. It's right. Not, yeah, right. we can exactly. do this. Exactly. And then it just sorts of, sort of builds up that, that confidence that you're doing the right thing. Yeah. yeah I love yeah. it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on the oh, podcast. Oh, thank you. Yes. And enjoy your Memorial Day. Don't work too hard. Have a little fun. (laughs) Thank you. You as well. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's podcast. And thanks so much to Annie Yancey for opening herself up to sharing her vulnerable story with the world. Because honestly, without these stories, how would anyone believe that (laughs) that they could make it through this stuff, right? I mean, when you're going through recovery, there are so many thoughts of there's no way that this is going to work and I'm going to have to live like this forever, but you know, something clicks. And for me hearing that other people did it, I always was like, then why can't I do it? You know, I know that I'm not, I'm not special. (laughs) Like We, we can do it. And so the more you surround yourself with people like that, the the more likely you are to continue to push forward when things get hard. So that's why I share these client stories because I know that, that it can be really helpful and, and inspiring. And I hope that 
you got something from this. So yeah, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. As always, if you don't mind, feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It just really helps me out. And follow us on Instagram, Behind the Binge, with periods in between. So behind dot the dot binge. And I will catch you next week.